stuffed with food. From Genesis 1.29, And God said, Behold, I've given you every green plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with its seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. Or if you flip over to Genesis 9.3, Every moving thing, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you green plants, I give you everything. So the Lord gives us everything for food, plants and animals. Food is mentioned 290 times in the Bible, 49 times in Leviticus with all the food laws. That's 17%. 11 times in 1 Corinthians when it's talking about food sacrifice to idols. Just a big overview. If you were to go to Revelation 22.2, you would see the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. Yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healings of the nations. And so we'll see that tree of life each month that will give forth a new fruit. So we can say that uh, Daniel was a vegetarian. Nehemiah was not. John the Baptist, locust and honey. And Peter reasoned with the Lord three times as to what he was eating. And the Lord, at his direction, Peter was to eat reptiles and birds. Food is all over the Bible. But I think we can slice it, what the Bible has to say about food into three areas. Number one, our dependence on God's providence. God has made us dependent creatures. And so from the very beginning, when he created the world, he created us to eat food. And we must trust him to provide. Ruth, uh, Naomi had to trust Ruth. Uh, not trust Ruth, but trust God in Ruth chapter 1, where she said, The Lord has provided food for our country. He can bring famine physically. He can bring feasting physically. He can also bring famine and feasting spiritually. So God often uses food to communicate uh, not only our dependence on him, but his judgment of us. Listen to Amos 8, 11 and 12. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. And he describes it, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. But then the Lord can also give feasting in the word, and he can return feasting physically. Listen to Amos 9, just one chapter later, 13 through 15. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. The plowman shall overtake. It'll be so abundant. It will be so prosperous. The guy that's out reaping, the guy that comes plowing will will catch up to the guy that's sowing the seed. The treader of grapes, him who sows the seed, the mountain shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. It's often a sign of the abundance of food is the abundance of God's blessing for the Old Testament saints. And I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted. And out of the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. God provides food, withholds food, uses images of food to communicate his ways. Not only that, are we dependent on his providence, but food is given as a bounty and a blessing. I love this. Acts 14, 7. Listen to what it says. Acts 14, 7. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons. And I love this. Satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. 
He gives us food to be enjoyed. We can delight in food. Have you ever thought about food? Have you ever gone to the supermarket? Next time you do, just walk in and just think. Now, again, you just a little lesson. You want to stay on the perimeters, right? We agree with that. But just look at the abundance of food that's in there. Did you know there are over a thousand types of bananas? I only thought there was one and it was yellow. But there are a thousand types of bananas. Have you ever looked at the list of hot peppers in the world? About 150 of them. You who make salsas should look at that list. 150 hot peppers. And you put those together. And this is a... This is not true, it's a joke, but you put those together, banana and peppers, and you get banana peppers. Have you ever had a banana pepper? They're delicious. He wants us to enjoy food. He wants us to enjoy but not exalt food. He wants us to enjoy but not exalt food. That's why I said earlier there's an article, you can get it out there or get it in Dropbox. Health, the health food heresy when eating becomes your God. He wants us to enjoy food, but not exalt food. And I think sometimes we can tend to exalt food. And it doesn't matter what food you eat, you're not going to be the holier if you do. Food will always be a part of God's perfect plan of provision for our sustenance in this world. And so instead of giving up on the battle, this author said, I must learn to interact with food that praises the Creator, praises the Creator without idolizing the food He's created. All foods are clean. Mark 17, uh, 19 says he declared all foods clean. Not all foods are healthy. We understand that, especially processed ones that aren't real. But he also wants us to see the gloriousness of his grace in the ordinary aspects of life. And that's why we did a whole series on food networking, connecting people with the gospel around the table, because it's a very ordinary thing. In Luke 7, 34, Jesus came eating and drinking. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. There are only two other times in the Bible where it says the Son of Man came. We're not going to turn there, but just listen to this. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Two very big theological concepts to give his life as a ransom for many and to seek and save the lost why he came and how he came is coupled with this he came eating and drinking jesus ate food he drank water he see in the end of luke he cooked fish and so we're to glorify god in the ordinary that's why paul says in first corinthians 10 31 whether we eat or drink Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. The most mundane things in life, are you doing them, am I doing them, to the glory of God? And God has given us pictures of his principles, the Passover meal in the Old Testament. There was a certain way they were to eat it, to represent what the Lord was doing. The Lord's Supper, what we take every week, is a picture of God's grace. And it points to the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19. One day we will sit around the table. I don't know what it will look like necessarily, but I know one thing's for certain. There will be food at that table. Food is important. This shows us that the Bible speaks about food, uses food in a way to communicate good theology. But you're telling me, Judd, 
I heard you mention it earlier. You read it on the front side of your Bible there that the Bible is food to support you. Really? Is the Bible food? Yes. And here's my if last week I wanted to show you that the physical is a parable for the spiritual this week, the Bible is food for your soul. It is literally food for your soul. It is food for your soul. God created the world with words. Amen. And God can, we talked about this earlier this morning, God can, with His words, move mountains. Literally. Do you believe that? That's what He, when He created the world, He spoke it into, let there be light. And if I was keen enough to have somebody on the lights, we would have just popped them on. Let, that's what God did. Let me read you something from the Jesus Storybook Bible, if you have young kids. This is a great book, great little book of the Bible to have. Think about, just think about your Bible that you have on your lap or on your tablet. Think about the Lord speaking to you through his words when I read this. God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror, to show us what he is like, to help us know him. To make our hearts sing. The way a kitten chases her tail. The way red poppies grow wild. The way a dolphin swims. And God put it into words, too, and wrote it in a book called the Bible. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should, should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you do and what you should be doing about what God did and has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you the people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away, and at times they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's the most wonderful of fairy tales because it's all come true to life. That is what you hold in your hand. That is what you can read every day for long portions at a time if you like. The Word of God's origin, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That, we often forget this verse. We get 16, we memorize 16, but we've got to memorize it with 17. That the Word, that the man of God may complete, be complete, equipped for every good work. And we also think God, cons- uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 3, 2, 13 shows its power. We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Just as food goes to work inside your body to repair, to battle germs, so the word of God goes to work in our heart. The Bible is soul food. It's good food from a good God serves a good purpose. 
And that Bible that you're holding, physical or digital, should be consumed. Should be consumed. Look at Psalm 19.10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. It's the first part he's talking about, the Word of God. Psalm 119.103. I love this. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than the honey to my than honey to my mouth. It's a desire. It's a delight. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. Your words are found, and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy, the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. It's a desire of the heart. It delights the heart. But if you look at Ezekiel, it's not always pleasant, right? Sometimes we open the Word of God and we read it and we're like, wow. They actually did that and, and God actually judged them for that. And then we, we see it as a mirror and we go, oh, I'm, I'm just like them. Different time, different era, same unbelief. Ezekiel 2, 8-10, but you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me. And it had writing on the front and back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. That sometimes you would encounter not only sweet things in the Bible, but bitter things in the Bible. Ezekiel 3 He said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and I and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. And I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. So even those those bitter words in two became sweet to Ezekiel. That's why we sing today sweetly broken, because if we think of the cross and we think of the Lord's work in our life and when he disciplines us, it's because he loves us. It's a sweet breaking. It's not just a breaking for breaking's sake, but it's a sweet breaking. It's a delight. It should be a desire of our heart. And it literally sustains us, spiritually speaking. Matthew 4, 4. The devil comes to Jesus and said, if you're the Son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? But he, Jesus answered, it is written, quoting Deuteronomy 8, 3, man shall not live by bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word. And so for the past four years and a couple months, we've been walking through probably eight to ten books. And we have read every word. Sometimes, if it's a longer portion, we've had it read for us. But we have read every word because we believe that every word that comes from the mouth of God sustains us and keeps us. Both the bitter and the sweet. And last week you saw in 1 Timothy 4, 6, how does one get, get to a point where they are spiritually healthy? Paul tells Timothy, pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. How, what is a good servant of Jesus Christ? One who has been trained or constantly nourished on the words of faith. The New American Standard says constantly nourished. It's a better translation than being trained. It's constantly nourished on the words of faith and sound doctrine which you have been following. 
And then Revelation 10, 8 to 11. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is opened in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy, prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. My friends, I'm not an expert in physical food, and nor am I an expert necessarily in spiritual food, but I know one thing's for certain. You and I need to eat this. And you're saying, well, how often should I eat it? How many times a day do you eat? Physically. How many times a day do you eat physically? I'm not saying you have to read your Bible three times a day. Don't hear that. Because, right, some diets are, don't eat three big meals, eat five small meals. Okay, five times a day. I don't know. But we need to fill our bodies, spiritual bodies, our minds, with this food. Because out there, there is mind candy. And it's a fast way to destroy your spiritual intellect. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says it like this. I think it's up there. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be passively conformed to this world. That's what happens when, when the most of our mind candy it's, it's mindless games on a computer or they're mindless TV shows or too much technology. We're passively conformed to the world. But be, but be here transformed. Transformed. It's a metamorphosis. The idea is of that caterpillar becoming a butterfly. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How often should I read my Bible? If the Bible judge, you said it's good for me, and if it's food for my soul, it's, it's a desire of my heart, it delights my heart, it nourishes both, though it's both sweet and bitter. How often should I read my Bible? I just ask the question, how often do you eat? And I ran this by my sweet wife this morning because I want this to be one of those messages like what it was for us when we sat under Dr. Howard Hendricks and he would walk through the Bible and you would walk out of class and you wouldn't want to do anything else. You would want to go to the library and say, I've got to go read what he just talked about. It, that is amazing. You mean to tell me I can stay constantly nourished on the words of faith and the sound doctrine? You mean theology is good for me? It is. Theology are like vegetables. They're really good for you. And once you start to eat them, they taste really good. How often should you read your Bible? How often do you eat? It is my hope. It is my passion. This is one of the things that that led me to want to do what I want to do because I saw my own life was changed by the power of taking in the Word and let it transforming my soul. I was on the fence at one time in my life trying to be politically correct, being conformed to this world. Oh, I'm not. 
for abortion, but I'm for choice. And I go and I hear a Baptist preacher say with fervor, say it like this. And he was he talked loud and he did this. He didn't scare me away. And he talked about Psalm 139. And I said, that's it. No more. It's not up there. No more. Riding the fence of of intellectual dishonesty. The Bible says I was formed in my mother's womb. We can't do abortions. My life was changed by the word of God. And I walk out of there and I go, that's it. I want to go and read this. It is my hope, my passion for us today that we are more knowledgeable in the views of atonement than the benefits of almond, cow, or oat milk. It is my passion. I, I would. It is my passion that you would walk out of here and want to know the Bible so well that you can sit down with a young believer and walk them through the book of Romans, not just to wow them with an outline, but to show them this is sin. Look around. It was written in AD 66, and it says the same thing today. This. This is bitter. This is sweet. There is no one who seeks God. No, not one. But then you can walk them right up to 320. And you can say, but now. But now. Post-cross. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And walking through and say God still has a plan for his people. And thus, when you get to 12, you, you get those two verses that begin this whole section, this whole section. Living sacrifice, gifts of grace, the marks of a true Christian. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And to walk them through that. And to get them excited. To take, and you've heard me say it before, and you, you, some of you might think I'm kidding. But I can't wait to teach the book of Ruth. It's that good. It's only four chapters. You can read it in less than 20 minutes, but you can study it for the rest of your life and be blown away. You want to know about darkness, despair, determination, disillusion with the world? You want to talk about seeking favor? Men, young men, young men who are just barely teenagers. You want to talk about how you pursue a woman and you serve her and finding favor with the Lord, experiencing that favor? Do you want to talk about a kinsman redeemer? Do you want to talk about an Old Testament picture of Jesus? Read the book of Ruth. I could go to the other feminine name book in the Bible, which is great. Esther, do you want to, you know, uh, what's that new reality show? What's that called? Just saw the commercial. What is it? Real Love, The Bachelor. You laugh. It's all in there in chapter one. The Bachelor, that's just like when people are talking about The Bachelor, you hear them at the grocery store say, oh, that's just, that's, no, that's nothing new. Can I tell you about Esther and Xerxes? 
He was the bachelor long before Ryan. It's all in there. If we put, literally put with the, uh, with the pizzazz of Hollywood and, and all those efforts, not a B movie, but, a, but an A well done movie, if we did that with the book of Judges, rated R. It's all in there. Rated R. Not because I'm saying, oh, that's cool. Now you should go want to read the book of Judges. It just deals with life as it is. We're going to teach through it because it's part of the whole counsel of God that when that comes, maybe it's Valentine's next year. Let's plan on it. Uh, We'll put a sign out there. You know, we want to decide on what age we want in here. Because it talks about some things in there. In Song of Solomon. And I'm not going to I'm not going to get to that chapter and go, well, this kind of sort of almost means what? It means what it means so much. So I'd like to take a one page ad out, put it in the veil daily sex and romance to the glory of God. Boy, howdy. Talk about seats out the doors. He's going to be talking about that and God in the same. Yeah, for eight weeks. And we're not going to be uncouth about it. We're going to do it right. We're going to do it with. uh, Grace and honor. Because that's the way the Bible presents it. But it isn't just an old poem that you should read every now and again. Gentlemen, you should read it a lot. I'm serious. I got credit for it in class, in seminary. I memorized Song of Solomon 4. Do you remember that? Constable's class said, I'm getting married on December 18th, right after we finish this semester. What can I do? He said, memorize Song of Solomon 4. And then on your wedding night, say it to your wife. And you get credit for it. It's in there. It's real. My point is the Bible deals with real life. How often should you read your Bible? How often do you eat? Last week, I hope you liked it. We had a Eagle Bible Church wow Workout of the week, number one. We have another one. You have one in your chair there. Eagle Bible Church, wow. Workout of the week, number two. The intense Bible intake challenge. Uh, What I'm trying to do with the spiritual disciplines this time is to change the routine. CrossFit, they say routine is the enemy. If you've done P90X, you know about muscle confusion. Every few weeks, they're always switching up the exercises so you don't get in the same routine, so your body doesn't just get in the same rhythm and you lose momentum. You're always growing. You're always changing. So I want to challenge you and give you a change when it comes to reading the Bible. I want you to push yourself and do something outside your normal routine. If you want to change, you've got to get outside your normal routine. You've got to get out your, outside your comfort zone. If you want to run fast, guess what you have to do? Run fast. What does running fast do to your body? It hurts. Try it. Just try it today. Stretch out first. Don't call me and say, you said run and I've got a pulled hammy. Stretch out. Get the blood flowing. But sprint as fast as you can across the park. It hurts. But it makes you faster. It makes you stronger. Latest issue of Runner's World. Change is good. Mixing up the routine with just a few tweaks can make you faster, stronger, and more motivated. So here's my first uh, Bible intake challenge for you. 
eat the Word of God, eat a whole book in one setting. A whole book in one setting? I could never do that. Sure you can. Have you ever come home in the evening after a long day and clicked on the TV and found yourself in the middle of the movie? You've missed the first half hour, so you missed the setup. What's the plot? Who are the characters? How do they relate to one another? Or you're quietly watching your favorite TV program when something comes up and you end up not finding out how the program ever ended. Some people read their Bibles this way. They pick it up, get in the middle of a book, and wonder why they can't figure out the storyline. Or they let everything in life interrupt them. They read a chapter or two or lay God's Word aside and never get back to find out how the story ends. Read the whole, read a whole book in one setting. Uh-huh. Can't do it? Don't have time? I hear you. But consider this. How long is your favorite sitcom? Probably 30 minutes. What about programs like Dateline, Law and Order, or Touched by an Angel? You can tell when this was written. They're 60 minutes each. Last Christmas, I kicked off my shoes, these back in my lounge chair, and watched three classics that air every Christmas season. It's a Wonderful Life, 131 minutes, Miracle on 34th Street, 94 minutes, and A Christmas Story. That's 319 minutes. It's over five hours. I watched them from beginning to end, from one black screen to the next black screen, the whole movie in one sitting. I'm getting the picture. Watch these movies from start to finish, not just a few minutes at a time, with the notion of coming back the next day to watch a little more. I followed the storyline. I got to know the character and their lives. I even got the point at the end of the movie. Let me apply that principle to reading the Bible. If you wanted to read one book of the Bible, the whole book, from beginning to end, which book of the Bible could you read in the same time it takes you to, re- to watch It's a Wonderful Life? It's two hours and 11 minutes, okay? And he's talking about average reading here. He's not talking about the, <coughs> pardon me, what we learned in seminary, speed reading, right? When you're moving your finger along and you're just crazy what the mind can do. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about normal, pick up the book, read it like you would read anything else. How many books could you read of the Bible? Not, not in this time set, but just one book of the Bible. Hold on to your hat. You could read any book of the Bible except 12. You've got 44 options except 12. Only a dozen books of the Bible take longer to read than watching the classic Christian movie or Christmas movie. How should you read the Bible? Let me read one more thing. Do you remember receiving letters from friends back home when you were away? I'd just add a note here since my wife is here. Do you remember reading the journal we worked through when we were dating? When you received a letter from a friend or sweetheart, what did you do with it? You read it, of course. Maybe, and hopefully she did. Maybe she did. Perhaps she reread it. Perhaps a dozen times. But did you read it at all? Did you read it all at once from start to finish? Of course you did. You didn't read a couple pages and say, well, that's enough for now. I'll read tomorrow. Letters are meant to be read and read through and enjoyed. They're not meant to be partially read in daily installments. Now, don't hear me saying Judd's anti-Bible reading plan. No, he's not. Love him. But you get the point. Fifteen books in the Old Testament contain ten 
or fewer chapters. Only, only four or 50 chapters or more. 17 books in the New Testament contain 10 or fewer chapters. Only five contain 20 or more chapters. Once you've read the Gospels and Acts, five books, you're 60% through the New Testament. Now listen to these stats. Nearly 40 books of the Bible can be read in an hour or less. 40 books of the Bible. That means you could begin every year on your own 40-day diet challenge thinking, your own spiritual 40 days, less than an hour, you can have read through two-thirds of the Bible. 26 books of those, 26 books can be read in 15 minutes or less. Thus, you could commit to 15 minutes a day and in one month have read one-third of your Bible. I know when I heard those stats, that helped me rethink through. Yeah, it's big, and I've got a big, wide-margin one, but it's not unattainable. God would not do that, would He? He's given us His Word. He wants us to eat it. Eat the Word. Try it. Try it this week. And I know what some of you are saying. Uh, Judd, have you thought through there are mothers with small children? What about people who have crazy, hectic schedules? Totally get it. So if you're in that season, don't try to read Genesis. Read Second John. It's one chapter. Here's a big one. And I mean this. We talked about this. How cool would it be if the word got out? Eagle Bible Church was having moms groups where a bunch of the moms got together and they let one mom go so she could go spend a couple hours reading through an entire book of the Bible by herself. Or just whatever she did for those two hours to get her to spend a couple hours with the Lord. I'm so serious about this. Bring me your kids and instructions. If you need to go to Yeti's to get a hot beverage or wherever, whatever place you like, and you can read there, great. Have you ever gone to the library? They have leather seats. It's so comfy. And it's you, you Literally, and I mean this, drop them off in my house. You got two, I'll give you two hours and 15 minutes. A little travel time. It's quiet. It's like that. There's no mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy. I have it written here. I'm serious. I really believe in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 that the Word of God goes to work in those who believe. And if you need vital time alone with God to try this workout, I'll keep your... Now, I'm not going to do it all at the same time, so don't bring me your two and your three at the same time. Let's work. We've got a calendar. We'll work it out. But my point is, it's fascinating when you read through an entire book in one city. You start to put, oh, 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 okay. That's good. God, you're good. Or here's the challenge. Take a, take a same book and read it 20 times in a row. You'll practically memorize it. You'll know the flow. It'll become a part of you. You are what you eat. And I'm not saying go out, okay, I'm going to take Psalms. 150 chapters, three hours and 30 minutes. That's what it says, average reading time. I'm going to take all the Psalms. No, I'm talking Second John, Third John, Jude, uh, Joel, Haggai. Start there, right? We're not if you're training for a marathon, day one of your plan. It doesn't say run 26.1 miles. We'll work on the other point one later. You work with one mile, and then two miles, and then six, and you got it. 
That's only the first one. Second one, digest the whole book through study. Acts 17, 11. Um, Digest an entire book by studying it. Read through it in one setting. That's scene number one. Outline it. And then check it against the commentary. Acts 17, 11. The Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examine the scriptures. I love that word, daily. It doesn't say examine the scriptures like occasionally, daily, to see if what Paul had said was so. And I say check a commentary, see the footnote. I want to be really positive with this and really encouraging. We need commentaries. I have a master's, whatever that means, in theology. I need commentaries. You need commentaries. We need commentaries. It is not about me and Jesus just working it out. Lone Ranger Judd here is going to figure it out. Because Judd's not that smart. And neither are you. If Dr. Luke consulted outside works, check it against Luke 1, 1 to 4. Pastor Paul referenced outside helps and commentaries, 2 Timothy 4.13. You need to be humble enough to know that you need help in interpreting Scripture. The Holy Spirit works through dead and distant disciples and teachers. You don't know how much it excites me when a guy texts me and goes, hey, look at a book I just got to help me study my Bible. I'm, I'm, what do you want? You want me to buy the book for you? That, that excites me because that says, I'm not smart enough, but I want to study this book in depth. I need help. And you recommended this guy. He and I are going to talk about Second Timothy together. That gets me fired up. Here's an intense challenge once you've done that. Once you've studied the book in depth with proper interpretation and practical application, I dare you, double dog dare you, to go teach it to the next generation. Say, hey, let's meet for six weeks. Pastor challenged me on this. I want to be able to, let's just walk through this book together. And finally, this is a big one. Howard Hendricks, Chuck Swindoll, Dallas Willard, all of them. Say, if I could only choose one thing to encourage someone to do, if someone had put my back against the wall and said, you've got one thing, they would say scripture memory. One thing, scripture memory. Because you're reading the Bible to read the verse. Now it should lead, and here's what I say, marinate on the Bible by memorizing to meditate. Oh, please don't just memorize to memorize. Can I, I'll just confess, I've been there, I've done that. Did God use it? Yes. Don't just memorize to memorize. Been there, done that. You get arrogant. Oh, I've memorized blah, blah, blah. So, one lady finally said to Howard Hendricks, I've been through my Bible 80 times. He, discerning, knowing exactly what to say at the right time, he says, how many times has the Bible been through you? So don't just memorize to memorize, memorize to meditate. You unwrap the verse, right? Turn with me to Psalm 84. Unwrapping a verse would be going to like reading the whole psalm and then going to verse 10 
and riding out. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And then you ride it out and everybody has got different ways that they memorize. Some people, for them, they would put F-A-D-I-Y-C-I-B. For them, it's they got those first letter of every word and that's how they memorize. For some, uh, they take it and they, they, they use word docs and they indent parts of the phrase over so they can see the flow of the verse. Some, and some, this works for some people, it's been told, you just read that verse ten times out loud. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. One. For the day in your courts is better than a thousand, a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wickedness. Two. And you do that ten times. And then you shut your Bible and try to repeat that. And people have done that for every verse of the Gospel of Matthew. Let, it, let that verse now You've got it. Let it just be like a mint in your mouth. Let it melt in your mind. It'll help you in your personal walk. The Holy Spirit will bring it to mind. Thy word I've hidden in my heart, Psalm 119.11, that I might not sin against you. And it'll help you when you study other books. Oh, I remember reading through this book and I remember that verse. And you'll start to see how it all fits. Here's my intense challenge. I know I, I've, I've said some crazy things today, but I bet you, you can memorize the whole book of the Bible. Why do I say that more than just topical memory systems? And I love those. Because then you have a whole book. You know it from beginning to end. You know context. You don't take verses out of context. A lot of times we memorize things and we take them out of context. And if this interests you in memorizing the whole book of the Bible, visit with me. I have various ways to help you eat that elephant one piece at a time. How much should you read your Bible? How often do you eat? I'll end with this. The masters are playing today because it is assumed that they've worked on the game of golf so much as to be a master. Let us eat and digest and marinate God's Word so that we can be a master of the Word, or better yet, be mastered by it. Father, You've given us 66 books because You love us. And You're so infinitely wise, You've given them in story form, You've given them in historical documents. You've given them in ways that are edible for us. Father, I confess there have been times in my life when I've been bored with your word. And it's not because your word is boring. It's because I am boring. Help me and help everybody in here fall madly in love with you through the reading of your love letters to us. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Those men who are helping with
communion would come forward. Supper in one minute, Exodus 12, starting in verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff on your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. For all I'll pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you, befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And in Luke 22, it says they then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb would be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And it was at that Passover meal, he said, 
Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He said, I had earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he took this bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten saying, The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at the table. For the Son of Man goes, that is, as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. So there was a seriousness in Exodus 12 that death was coming. But God would pass over those who had had the sign, the blood on the doorposts. And Jesus here says, I want to eat Passover for you and just let me make a connection. I am the Passover lamb. Death and judgment is coming, but if you are in Christ, you will be saved from that death and judgment. That's why we have this picture we celebrate with food. Let's take the elements. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son and tells us in the Gospels he did nothing on his own but everything that you commanded him. Jesus, we thank you for coming and giving us the your life for us, giving us the Lord's Supper to remember what you did on the cross. We thank you. In Holy Trinity, we are thankful. Though we don't understand fully the Trinity and how wonderful you are, we understand enough. We are grateful that for the rest of our life, we don't have to be panicked or worried Should we get cancer? And should food and drugs not heal us? For by your grace we've been healed of the ultimate disease, that of sin. Thank you. Pray as we go now that you would give us boldness to speak the truth to those who do not know, to love those who do, and to pass on the faith to the next generation. Brothers in Christ's name, amen. Today we are not doing a song after communion, so I will send you off.